every single time, and I'm pretty sure even playing footy as well, he refused to wear any underwear with his footy shorts. (laughs) When he was was 17, um, we were at Dad's place. Um, We were watching uh, some TV, and um, I'm pretty sure it was my stepmom sitting opposite Ty, and um, in front of everyone, she muted the TV and said, for goodness sakes, Ty, please put your feet down off the coffee table. Uh, you can only imagine what was uh, exposed to my poor so, Look, he, he was an idiot. He was a larrick and he, he really loved to laugh. And um, that, that just really connected with everyone. It was a Look, it's a, it's a sad story, but for me, that's a, a really light, uh, positive light out of it that, you know, um, and as I said, I always want people to remember him as that fun, happy-go-lucky guy, which he was. Um, and for me to always fall back to that story um, paints a really clear picture of that. And um, yeah, it's a special memory that we all have. Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. G'day, listeners. G'day, Coxie. Hello, Warwick. I've just jumped right in and done my usual thing. You do? Just typical man, just get in there and get it done. Oh, no, sometimes I manage to jump in before you while you're taking a breath. I'm just like in like Flynn. It's like I've got to be quick to beat was to the punch. I do. Before he talks all over me. We've got uh, a big chat today. We we have a great chat. Oh, we do. There's a heck of a segue play on words there, Coxie. Just trying. That was really bad. <laughs> the best I could do at short notice. Uh, I think it was pretty good. It was pretty good. We we have a great chat um, with who I think is a young man. I think I don't think he feels so young. Um, and his mates just played a, a pretty good prank on him uh, Ripper, recently actually. Mm-hmm. for his birthday. That's a cracker. I want to mm. do that for you when you're old. Thanks. It's nice to know you. <laughs> nice to know you got good friends around you. We're speaking to Mitch today from Speak Up, Stay Chatty. We have a really interesting chat. But before we do, we do need to put a trigger warning on this episode. Mm. We will be talking about mental health and suicide. And as always, when we talk about mental health, as we do quite a lot here at Tradies and Business, we do like to start the episode with some numbers that you can call and reach out to if this brings up anything for you in our chat today. Uh, Lifeline are always there. Uh, you can call them on 13 11 14. A big one, I think, for our tradie friends, of course, is Mates in Construction, 1300 642 111. And finally, some great resources also available on the website here for Beyond Blue, 1300 uh, if anything is triggered for you today in this conversation that we have, reach out to one of those. Or, of course, you can always reach out to Warwick and I. We have quite a bit of experience um, in these areas. And if you need a chat, our ears are always open. You can just hit us up via the website or socials, of course, which we both monitor so we can have a chat there if need be. And uh, we do have formal training here at Tradies in Business in a couple of these issues. So mm-hmm. um, we are reasonably well-placed to support you, and especially for those people who – and this is a great education for all of us. Um, there are services available where you don't even have to talk to someone. You can just text yeah. or drop messages via Messenger. So I know Lifeline have a great text message service, um, so you can keep it a little less confronting. Um, for yourself or someone around you. Um, mm-hmm. And same for us here. Feel free to just drop us a message. You can keep it nice and private and you don't even have to talk to us because I know we can be a bit scary here, Coxie. I speak for yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, we do have a great chat um, with Mitch McPherson today. Um, we have a few laughs and a bit of heavy stuff and mm-hmm. it's a bloody great episode and uh, it's it's something that I think all of us need to get much more comfortable with. So um, enjoy today's chat and uh, remember those numbers um, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Take care. Righto. So we are joined today by Mitch McPherson from Speak Up, Stay Chatty. And Nick, I... Must admit, a whole bunch of Lego pieces fell into place for me uh, when we actually were able to get Mitch on the show. Mm. Um, because when I moved to Tassie, I started seeing lots of bumper stickers 
on cars, especially utes, uh, with this speak up, stay chatty, and the last two letters were in capitals. I'm like, what is this thing? And of course, I never went and Googled it. I just, I'd go, oh, I have to Google that when I get home and I stop driving, then I'd forget. And then when uh, Mitch got put forward as our guest today, I was like, oh, that's what it's all about. So I'm actually really pleased to be chatting with Mitch today. Um, but uh, Mitch is joining us all the way from Tasmania. <laughs> we could have wow. come up for a coffee, mate. <laughs> I could have done. We could have done this in the flesh. Or you could have. <laughs> Welcome to the show, mate. Great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure, mate. So um, as is our tradition here at Tradies in Business, we do not read bios because usually they're boring as the proverbial. Um, And you know more about yourself than anybody else, mate. So can you tell our listeners a bit about who's Mitch McPherson, um, you know, a bit of your backstory, mate, and how you came to be so blessed to be talking to us here at Tradies in Business today? Yeah, yeah, what a privilege. Um, (laughs) It's a privilege to introduce myself, one of the – biggest things I'm not a fan of, but I'll have a crack at it anyway. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, look, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm, uh, I was 34 a couple of days ago. So Congratulations. Um, Happy thank you very much. Um, it's actually funny The I do uh, join a local radio show down here with a couple of boys who are my good mates and um, they put a post up of, on their Insta story wishing me a happy 40th. I was 34. <laughs> I, uh, I, I went to a breakfast this morning. I was um, I did a Q&A at a, a local school here this morning, a Father's Day breakfast, and the lady goes, oh, happy birthday for the other day. She goes, I just can't believe you're 40. I've been telling her I can't believe it. And I said, no, look, I'm, I'm actually not. So their, their little gag that they put up works. But, no, I'm, I'm definitely not 40 yet, but I, I do feel it uh, at times as we all do. Look, I'm um, I'm 34. I'm a dad. Um, I have, I'm married. Um, my wife, Sahar, my little daughter, Maya, who's 17 months old. Um, my my life over the last eight years has gone from, you know, a, a 25-year-old bloke working in the in the trade industry, um, taking my footy pretty seriously, drinking beers on weekends, waking up Sunday pretty crook, dreading, dreading having to go and do that process again. <laughs> um, but in, um, in 2013, um, on the 14th of Jan, um, my 18-year-old brother, Ty, took his own life and... Um, it was a you know an incredibly devastating moment, as you know many people know. Um, it sort of, I mean, suicide was something that I had no idea about. Like, I mean, I'd heard it, and we all do. We we hear about it a lot more, and we 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 all hope to. I hope that we are learning more about mental health. But back then, you know, I'd turn a blind eye. I was a classic bloke that never ever thought it would happen to me. You know, trade industry, head down, bum up, get your job done. You know, do your work, never ever talk about your emotions. So. Losing my little brother, um, you know, changed everything. You know, it um, it brought up. I always say it brought grief, sadness, and guilt to my life. You know, grief and sadness. Losing him, he was my my best friend, someone who I loved the most. But then guilt because you know I was his older brother. I meant to be his his mentor, the one that looks out for him, the one that he should have come to to talk to, or the one I who should have recognised that he was struggling. Um, so you know, navigated through that, um, which you know, which a really traumatic time, as anyone who's been through it would know. Long story short, I'm sure we'll backtrack into bits and pieces of that journey, but um, I ended up creating the car sticker, which you spoke about a moment ago. Um, It was a way to just sort of, you know, it was one day I got home and realised that I'm never, ever going to be able to bring my little brother back. And I was filled with so much sadness and, and all those emotions that I touched on that I thought, look, maybe I can start talking about what life is like right now. And by doing that, we can start raising awareness to other families and maybe other families won't go through what we have so I created the car sticker. Um, I'll talk a little bit later on, no doubt, about the meaning behind the car sticker. It's a bit inappropriate, but a good way to actually remember it. The rest is history. Look, I, I set up a Facebook page. I um, I started blogging um, about what life was like being touched by suicide. I started doing some really shit public speaking, uh, but people started to really resonate with it and connect with my message, um, especially across Tasmania. You know, people were saying, "Look, I've I've heard about suicide." I've heard your story. I'm going to start talking to my family about it. And then I basically went from tradie to public speaker, set it up as a charity, um, linked in with Relationships Australia Tasmania, who I'm very fortunate still to this day, gave me a job and said, look, come and join your charity with us. We'll help you grow it. Um, and now Stay Chatty, you know, in Tasmania is a pretty well-respected and renowned organisation. organisation. We've got nine staff. We deliver programs in schools, sporting clubs, workplaces. Um, I travel the country. A lot of it's obviously virtual at the moment. 
um, and share my story. I've, I've delivered my story close to about 900 times now. So I'm a, essentially a lived experience speaker. And um, yeah, I, I do awesome things. I do podcasts. I Q&A breakfast this morning. I'm, uh, I'm, I've gone from someone who, you know, had not a lot of passion for life to a very purpose-filled life overnight and over a few months. And um, whilst I'd give it all back in a heartbeat to have my little brother back, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity I have to to every day, I suppose, make a positive difference in society, which is, yeah, something um, I'm very, very honoured to have. It's a lovely gift he left you with. It is, yeah. And, um, look, I oh, people have said that to me before and I try not to, you know, get emotional about that. You know, I'd, um, as I said, I, I know he'd be really proud of the work that we're doing. Um but that's his legacy, you know, like he, he left behind, you know, I often talk about it. He didn't know that it was a world where you could talk about your mental health. And I like to think now that the work that we're doing every day is allowing other people that, you know, do eventually or one day feel like tired to, mm. to know that they can come out and talk about their mental health. So, yeah, it's, it's his legacy and, and, as I said, one that we're really proud of. Can you tell us a little bit about Ty? Yeah, absolutely. Um Look, it's a it's a really classic story that you hear a lot of. You know, Ty was someone that, you know, had the world at his feet. He was 18. He turned 18 10 days before he passed away. Oh, wow. Life of the party, funny, smiled, loved his sport, um, popular. Um, he was meant to start a building apprenticeship the very next day, uh, learning to drive. Took us all by surprise. You know, he was, um, yeah, just a, a wonderful person to be around. Um, and we all got a lot of joy out of living our lives with Ty by our sides. And I suppose I, a big part of my story is in that initial few weeks and months, you know, I mean, human beings are intriguing beasts. You know, everyone wanted answers and mm. people, would, people would drop off lasagnas, cartons of beer. They'd come around, they'd spend time with us. And every single person said, did you know he was struggling? You know, people wanted answers as to, yeah. to why this had happened. And uh, we in the in the first few months were like, no, we have no idea. You know, he didn't leave us with much. We we have no idea why this happened, but uh, I suppose that's a big part of my journey. I went from how the hell did this happen to wanting answers to learning a lot about mental health and actually realising that, you know, in that last two weeks, um, Ty wasn't himself. You know, he actually was showing us a lot of signs that, you know, he was down, he was out, he needed help, he needed support, he needed a conversation. But um, the reality was, you know, myself, my family, our friendship groups, as large as they were, we all just grew up in stigmatised worlds where, you know, we, we never ever thought that suicide would hit us. And, um, you know, upon reflection, those times where he didn't come out and have dinner in the last two weeks or we caught him walking home, you know, they were signs that he wasn't himself. But um, mm. you know, ignorance is bliss and, and a, a life filled with a lack of knowledge, you know, prevented us from asking uh, asking some really important questions. It's really hard to, to spot those things at the time, though, mm. it, it's it's not yeah. always obvious. You know, it's easy in hindsight, and we talk about that with so many aspects of life. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. We've all got twenty twenty vision in hindsight, but to put those things together, um, you know, prospectively, and, and go, oh, this is something we need to dig into here is really, really difficult. Yeah. Has I guess do you see that with other people? You've been doing this for a while now, Mitch. Do you see that people are still not able to recognise signs with the people around them? I'm sure we probably recognise them, but I think ignorance is still such a big player in this space, you know, like we am, especially for young people, like I encourage parents, and I said it to all the dads this morning at the breakfast, that we've got a rec- I've got a thing called one percenters. It's silly. I, I used to play footy and my coach was always, your one percenters is to tackle, shepherd, do things for your mates. So I've got shocking knees, can't play footy anymore. My new 1% is looking out for someone around you who's 1% off and knowing that it's okay to go and ask that question of them about how they're travelling, you know, recognise the small but significant signs. And, you know, that's why I'm I'm an AOK ambassador and I love that because it's trust your gut, you know, trust that feeling that you might have that someone's got something going going on in their life. And um, I think if we just, you're not always going to get everyone open up and tell you what's going on in their life, but I think planting that seed with that person to say to them, hey, I've seen you just off, you know, you don't seem all right today. Planting that seed I know makes a difference. I I know that people then walk away going, I know someone cares. I know someone's noticed. And maybe it's just one step closer to them eventually opening up and having that conversation. So, look, I, I do know, and, and to your point, everyone's different. Um, everyone's mental health is different. We all look at it differently. We all act differently with mental health issues. But I think if we just 
plant in our head every day to keep our radar up, to just look out for those around us that we care about a little bit more, mm. uh, it goes a hell of a long way to making, you know, some major differences over a period of time. Mitch, you reference asking some questions there. I think that, um, you know, I'm a mum of three young men and two young ladies and, they, uh, my kids have probably been brought up a little differently and we speak quite freely about some of these subjects often, I guess, because of my own experience. Um, so they, they don't have a lot of issues with asking their mates those questions and yet I don't see it being um, returned very often. I think kids are still not being taught what questions to ask and how to ask them. I'd love your insight on what you are obviously um, teaching frequently. What sort of questions should we ask? Yeah, um, I think it's it's still very. Um, I think the main thing we normalise is how how common it is for young people, especially, to experience mental health issues across mm-hmm. their, their their younger ages. And I think the more we can do that, I mean, the biggest burden for a young person is you know they're growing up, they've got a lot of emotions, lots of changes in their lives. Not to mention you know COVID nineteen, family separation. There's lots of um, outside factors that are impacting a young person and their their mental health, their well being as they grow up. Um, but I think the more we can normalise that these kids aren't alone and that, as I said, one in four young people, I think, were the last day. I didn't get into stats too much. I probably should. But one in four young people experience mental health issues across any given year. Like, that's that's big, you know. And I always say to young people, you know, when you feel that way or you feel down or you've got some struggles or you feel alone, you are not alone, you know, and that chances are in your classroom of 30, there's six or seven kids going mm-hmm. through the exact same feelings and emotions that you are. Um, and I love leaving schools and kids challenging themselves to start opening up and having these conversations because they may not know the courage that well, it's courage to come out and talk about it, but they may never know the difference they made for a couple of other classmates of theirs down the track, you know, to look back and go, well, Charlie opened up three months ago and he's feeling the same way. That's paved the way for me to do the same thing. So, look, awareness is paramount, but, you know, things like mental health first aid, equipping kids with, you know, really great tools to um, to be able to have those conversations um, is, is really, really important. Um, awareness is great, but we've also got to make sure we've got the support there as well. We don't want too many, we don't want people opening up, having conversations, talking about mental health and the support not being there. So it's important that we try and keep those balances really even as well. It's a great point you make, Mitch, and it's something that I've lamented over the years is there's there's been probably a, a, a great movement towards encouraging conversations and you know, teaching people that it's okay to to be not okay and to speak out and all that sort of stuff. And as you say, we've also got to have the other side of that equation where there's the education on, well, what do I do if someone says to me, hey, Woz, I'm really struggling, mate. And I'm like, ah, um, okay. Yeah, that's good, mate. Uh, Got to go, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you – I wanted to ask about – Given that that you know it's been a number of years, you've been uh, I guess working in this space. Have you seen any shift in attitudes, or what's been your view of how things have progressed or not over the last seven or eight years? Look, I think we've come a really long way, um, but I like I never get complacent in this space, and you can't because every life lost sounds really cliche, but every life lost to suicide is you know incredibly devastating, and until we're not getting we're not having them anymore. It's important that we continue to do this work. But, look, I am, and I say absolutely wholeheartedly, that I am absolutely blown away at times going into schools and seeing the maturity from young people and how they treat mental health. You know, we've got schools down here in Hobart, Hutchins, for example, that have a mental health wellbeing team with, among their leaders. They've done mental health first aid training. They're constantly finding ways to check in on peers and, and people across the group. So, Look, I, we have come an absolute long way. Um, I think the important thing about asking for help, um, I'm really big on focusing on, you know, it's a, it's great that we ask, are you okay? But I think it's really important to put yourself in the position of asking the question before you go and actually do it. Um, you know, I've heard some stories where people go up to someone and they ask how they're going. That person turns around and tells them all their, their world's falling apart and then that person's dumped with all their troubles as well. And we feel we've got to fix each other. We're, we're mm-hmm. human beings. That's how we live. We want to help each other naturally. It's how we work. So I always say to people, before you go out asking someone who you think might not be okay, give yourself a couple of minutes to work out how you'll go if they actually turn you around and tell you that their world is falling apart. Are you going to be able to deal with that? Do you know ways in which you can support them? Do you know the services in your area? 
that you can push these people to. So it's a two-way street, I think, with, you know, having the courage to open up, great, let's do that. Um, but I think those people around you, when I said with the 1% as a moment ago, it's really important to have some skills in your back pocket as to where you can push these people if you do know that they they are going through a tricky time. And, and that's why I say to anyone, you might be someone living your life who's never had mental health issues, someone in, people in your family seem to be going all right, but we've got to stop viewing life to think and thinking that we're never going to face challenges because you will in your life, you'll face a relationship breakdown, some financial troubles, grief, loss. You will get that in your life. So start thinking about the people in your life that you can turn to um, mm. when those challenges come. It's a really important thing to think about. I think it's really essential for people to understand that they don't have to fix someone. Yeah. It's okay just to be a sounding board and then offer some pathways. You know, it's, how about we jump on a call together with Lifeline? Let's give them a call or Beyond Blue or, you know, there's so many services available. You can do that with them if they're unable to do it themselves. You can help start those conversations. But oh. most importantly, I think it's that, you know, if I ask you if you're okay, Mitch, it's not my responsibility to fix you. It's yeah. just about helping you start that conversation and begin getting those words out of your mouth, which is perhaps the most challenging part yeah. and yet as you reference quite rightly we do feel like we need to fix those people in our lives which becomes a big burden and often a bit of a circle that we're all then caught in because I don't have the skills to fix someone I really don't I'm not a counsellor or a psychologist I I certainly have experience in this area and that doesn't mean still that I have the the tools or the abilities to fix someone no. so I think it's a really important message today to understand that Yes, please ask people if they're okay, how they're doing. Be prepared for the conversation that comes after. Understand how you can assist them, find the support that they need, and know it's okay that you don't need to fix them. It's not your job. So, such a great point. I often say to people, my greatest tip is if you sit down with someone and they find the courage to tell you what's going on, um, shut your mouth and open your ears. I think it's just it's not the time to talk about your problems. It's not the time to compare your issues to theirs. It's time to, you know, and that's why practising empathy is really important too, you know, thinking about, you know, we've just got to become better listeners and 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 that's what exactly any mental health training or education or learnings I've had over the last eight years will all say you do not have to be an expert to help someone get through a tricky time. Um, it's just showing your care, looking them in the eyes, using your ears, great listening techniques, caring techniques, um, and then after that, having the conversation about what's next for them, you know, what are the services. And that's why I said a moment ago it's important these days that, even when we're in a great space and the people around us that we know of are in a good space as well, it's important to educate ourselves. And that's why I think like our sessions and any mental health session around what's around in your area, great to open up your ears and learn a little bit more when you get the opportunity to do so. Absolutely. I also think that we don't focus enough on mental wellness. If we took the opportunity to be proactive about setting up good, healthy practices for mental wellness, it's it's. we did a fantastic episode many moons ago, gosh, it must be about three years ago now, uh, with a tradie business owner who had has suffered a lot with his mental health and he's reached a point in his life where he's doing quite well, but it's essential for him. He knows he still needs to see his psychologist every month to keep his health well. And right. I think that that's another part of the conversation that's really missing. What are we doing to keep ourselves well when we are well? What, are we meditating? Are we catching up with mates and re regularly debriefing? Do we know and check in with that support network that we have frequently so that we have, I guess, that support for ourselves so that if we do start to tipple, we've got people to help put in place whatever is necessary for us to move past that bump. Is that something that you guys focus on as well? Yeah, it is. And it's all about recognising your own mental health. Like One of the key things we talk about is the mental health continuum and how you know, we've all got mental health and it's all different and you have days where you're up, you have days where you're down, you know, you're at the positive end, you're at the negative end and that's different for everyone. You know, a, a loss of a job might make someone right at the bottom, it might make them halfway, like we're all totally different. But what's really important is recognising for your own mental health where you're at on that continuum. Um, and like you say, there's, um, it's well, as I'm saying, it's really important that if some of those bad days stick around for longer than others, it's time to recognise that, to start having your conversation. So that all comes back to your own self-care and recognising your own well-being. Are too many negative or bad days hanging around longer than what they should? If they are, what am I doing? Have I been eating rubbish the last few days? Have I not got out and got for a walk, got some sun? Have I not rang my mates like I would usually? So you've got to find what your balance is, what keeps you well. Um, and when you find that, never steer away from it. And I know we all get busy. I'm the same. I, I preach this all the time, but I have days where 
God, I feel like crap. You know, why? Well, I've pushed away my own well-being and my own self-care. So get back on track, recognize what it is and do what you can. Mm. Mitch, you mentioned earlier about um, the grief, sadness and guilt uh, for those of us left behind. Um, We hear from a lot of our our tradies um, about the guilt word and it's not it's not only to do with mental health and suicide um you know it's to do with everyday stuff and i think it's a big issue for a lot of um well i'll say a lot of men especially um there's there's this persistent stereotype and stigma that any of this stuff is weakness and and i know that was a big part of of my dad and and my relationship with him that having emotions was seen as weak um and i and i still see it you know 2021 i'm still seeing this with young men not just middle-aged men um how did you actually i guess deal with that guilt and and what tips maybe as as sort of cute as that might seem have you got for our listeners around just dealing with guilt in life and how how bad that can be to to not address yeah look i i always say like i said at the start the emotions i felt were grief sadness and guilt and Look, guilt is, I always, when I do a presentation and I talk about that, I always preface that by saying it's never anyone's fault when somebody else takes their own life. That's one thing I've learned. You know, that was ultimately their decision. Um, it's something that creates a whole heap of sadness and devastation for everyone, but it's, we have to always remember that it's never our fault. But we all have a role to play in everyone's well-being and mental health, and I think that comes down to the simple things such as kindness, checking in, creating cultures and, and safe environments to openly talk about mental health. So, look, I am, I battle with it every day. You know, like I was someone that, you know, I was Ty's big brother. I We played cricket. I, I transferred him money. We we wrestled. We laughed, all that stuff, you know. And I there's absolutely no doubt that until the day I die, I'll always um, live with a little element of, geez, I wish I did more. And is that guilt? Maybe, maybe not. But, um, you know, that's just something that you work through. But I really push people to understand that it's not your fault because I know that that's a natural feeling that will come. Uh, look, I, I went through the process, fortunately, and I feel awkward saying it, but through the Australian of the Year process, and we did a tour um, for the Tasmanians a few years ago doing that. And one of the things was focusing on Australian values, and one of them was being stoic. And, you know, like you said, the, the male gener- generations gone by of being that I can't show my emotion, I'm going to... Um, do everything for my family. It's, you know, head down, bum up type attitude. But I think over the years we've realised that that's actually bringing a lot of men undone and, and it's, a, it's something that we have to really break down. And um, and I think for the next generation coming through, encourage them to recognise that that's, that's not necessarily how we want people to be. We want people to show our emotions. And, of course, you can be you know, tough and solid and all those sorts of things. You do that. But um, we, we all have mental health. We're all going to face challenges in life. And I think... That's why it's really important for these young boys and young tradies. I I love speaking to young apprentices and young blokes getting into that space because I know they're the leaders of the next generation coming through who will come into the trade industry. So, um, yeah, look, I I think that's brought a lot of people undone. You know, I get lots of people ringing me saying, can you come and speak to our male-dominated trade workforce because we've got these 50, 60, 70-year-olds who can't understand why the 20, 30-year-olds are having time off for their well-being and their mental health and, that's creating some issues. So I hope that going in there and, and sharing my story and normalising how common it is helps break down some barriers for that. Mm-hmm. Look, that's what we need to do. We need to just ed- better educate people, um, create different values for, for our men, you know, and get them to be, you know, kinder, more empathetic um, and more understanding that it's okay to talk about their mental health. So that's all we can do, just keep educating, keep trying to drill it into these young guys and, and hopefully that creates change, as I said, for the next generation. I think you've... Um inadvertently hit on something there that I think is great thread. The shame that can come when a loved one or somebody you know in your community has um, taken their own life is massive and can prevent some of those conversations which lead to normalising what what is going on. For us, it's happening everywhere, unfortunately. Um, it becomes a very tricky conversation to, to have. How do you navigate the waters around having that tricky conversation and ensuring again that support network so that it can be openly spoken about yeah look i think everyone's different and like to be to be brutally honest i didn't shame wasn't a big one for me when it happened for us like i um when i think back now i shame probably because i was thinking i was his elder brother i probably should have done more but look i know that um 
there was an amazing an amazing and overwhelming amount of support for us as a family when we went through this. But would there have been more if it was natural causes? Probably. I know that it does make people think find it really hard to to have the conversation. And and again, everyone's different. I can't speak on behalf of other families because some people might not like to talk about it or they do. Look, for me, I loved it when people asked me about it. It allowed me to talk about my brother and and celebrate his life and and talk about him as a kind person. You know, I didn't want people to think that my little brother took his life and, oh, he must have been sad and depressed and down and out. Look, I, Ty no doubt faced challenges, but I, I strongly believe that it was probably only for a few weeks and the biggest issue was that he just didn't reach out and ask for help and and he didn't live in a, in his world where he felt that it was suitable or okay to ask for help. Um, we spoke a moment ago, was about it's okay to not be okay. He didn't know that. Um, so for me, it was a, it was an opportunity to when people asked, it was an opportunity to celebrate Ty and talk about the amazing person he was. But look, no doubt, there's um, yeah huge shame. And I mean, you go back hundreds of years, and I've heard some awful stories about generations and, and suicide, even you know in the 50s and 60s. You know. Um, it was a crime, you know, like, yeah. so we've certainly come a long way um, in that space. But, yeah, look, I think breaking down stigmas and barriers will only, again, um, help families left behind to more openly talk about their loss and their sadness. It mm. makes it really hard for the the loved ones, for the family and, and the friends um, around people when it's not spoken about mm. for them as part of their own grief process and, I'll, I'll uh, jump right in here and do something that I haven't done openly is is um, I did mention before we hit record today that we lost my dad to suicide last year um, and that's been completely swept under the rug except for, you know, three family members being <laughs> my mum and my brother and we don't even talk about it. It's almost like we just don't mention the fact that that's how he left us uh, and none of his other family even know. I mean, it, it's not officially recorded anywhere, despite the fact that it was clearly <laughs> not natural causes. And that's that's made it really hard for my mum. She actually suffered severe depression off the back of that. She's felt a lot of guilt and shame. And so we've had to support mum through that. She's gotten some great professional help, and she's now doing great, um, you know, 12 months on. But that that creates such a burden for those of us left behind, and, and I can't think of a better way to, to describe that, to not have the ability to speak openly about it. And it almost then passes on that infection to the next round of people where now we carry on that ridiculous um, stigma and almost shame, as you've said about, uh, and Coxie said, about the way somebody died. You know, it's like, it seems ridiculous to me. Uh, and and I don't know if that's happening still in the broader community, Mitch. You've probably got a better sense of that than than we do. Yeah. But uh, I feel like that is a, a huge um, negative around this as well. Yeah, totally. And um, look, I think support for people left behind is incredibly important. Standby response to um, an amazing work, and we always refer them to anyone that might reach out that you know sadly experiences the loss. Um, Look, I, I cannot imagine what that would be like for, for your mum and, you know, yourself and your brother. It's, um, yeah, as I said, every suicide is different. The people left behind see it differently, feel it differently, and yours is mm. just another story and sadly a large pool of people that have experienced that. Mm. Um, look, it's as I said, everyone's different. You know, there's people that lose someone and then become really passionate about wanting to raise money that goes towards our organisation mm. because they see we're making a difference. Um, there's people that, you know, are in your shoes, no doubt, was that lose and um, lose someone and feel that they can't talk about it. Um, look, I know that the the probably more comfortable way to deal with it would be to be able to find a way to talk about it, and some people would probably beg to differ there. But as mm. I said, everyone's different and all stories are different. And um, yeah, it's a yeah, that's a sad outcome. And look, people left behind, it's devastating. I always get asked, why do I do what I do? And you know, my parents are right up there at the top of the list because. You know, I've seen, you know, the way they live their life now and um, the relationships, the the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they look at the world is really sad now. And, um, you know, I always see them and think you're a big, big reason why I stand in front of people and do what I do because I just want no parent should experience that and I want less parents to, to feel that burden and that pain like my mum and dad have. I think there's a lot of fear around it too, even uh, just with mental health, just, <laughs> uh, you know, with mental health issues. And 
uh, you know, Coxie and I, again, both have some personal experience with that aspect as well with, with people close to us. Um, I think there's a lot of fear about, well, geez, what if they don't get better or what if I can't help them? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is there, I guess, again, Mitch, looking for your insights and perspective, um, do you think there's enough uh, tools or, or support or services for people in that regard as well? Um, look, there is. I mean, education around it is important. You know, we're asking a question. Look, I, I, over the last couple of years, have not got concerned but worried a little. I mean, I can only speak really for Tasmania. I'm not sure of, you know, mental health systems and whatnot outside the country. But, look, it's um, it's important to know. I, I do say to people that, you know, I quite often get messages from people saying that the support for, you know, to go and see a psychologist or whatever here in Tasmania isn't, you know, there's quite often some serious wait times. And, look, I have heard from other people that that's the situation around the country. There's a shortage on people in that field to be able to support us. Um, so, I mean, for example, in my PowerPoint, I, use, I have a slide that five ways to make a difference. And one of them is get help when you need it. And when I first started this, it was like, go see your GP, get a mental health plan, then you can go see a psych and get yourself back on track through that stage. But lots of people started to throw their hand up and say, well, actually, I've reached out or I've taken my kid to the doctor and, um, you know, that took a while and then now we're waiting months to see a psych. You know, get help when you need it is, you know, kind of bullshit. You know, how is that actually happening? So, look, I, I, I'm I, aware that there's amazing services out there. We, we have them on our website. There's people that do incredibly important work. Um, but for me, I, th- I think we need to draw it back a little bit and start working on our own resilience and our well-being am- among ourselves. Um, I often joke that I didn't learn too much at school, um, but one of the things I did learn was my teacher said to me, you know, you've got five fingers and every finger should represent someone that you can turn to throughout a crisis or a difficult period in your life, and it's probably no more relevant at any stage of our worlds than right now. You know, I think... It's important. I've got my five and I always urge everyone to get up off your, your I say ass, but your bum after a present, think of who are your five? You know, who are your who are your five people that if all of a sudden shit hits the fan and life isn't great for you, who are you going to call? Who are those people? Because we need to recognise that we probably can't walk straight into a psychologist tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people probably have it in their head that might not have ever experienced mental health issues or concerns that help is readily available in the ne- next couple of days. And I'm not blaming that on anyone. Um, it's just the way it is through a shortage of, of those experts in that field. But, yeah, we've got to just pair it back a little bit, educate ourselves, take time to think about where we can go or who we can talk to if we uh, if we ever have some concerns for ourselves or others. I couldn't agree more. I, I wanted to come back to something I think you referenced earlier and that and probably leads into the shame piece again as well. A lot of us don't talk because we're embarrassed about the problem that we're experiencing and it makes it really challenging for us to actually open up and have a conversation with someone about how shit we feel. And yet what I find time and time again, even through my own experience, is if I do start to share that, it, it's the snowball effect. There's so many of other other people that have been through that. I probably, I know we've we've actually spoken about that before. I really wanted to labour on it so that people listening today have the opportunity to understand there are people around you that are just as concerned, worried to bring out or speak about their own truth and what they're going through in their own lives, and yet they could actually help you. Even if it's just, yeah, I'm going through that too, mate, it's really shit. I don't know what to mm-hmm. do about it. Yeah. Or it's it's the, the pat on the back, oh, hell, I've been there. This is what I did. Let's have a look at what we can do together to create a plan to find a way out of this. Whether they're paid professionals or they're just your mates, I think it's time as a society we spend more time normalising things. I think we need to spend more time understanding that we're all very similar, that, you know, I think we still in Australia particularly put people on a pedestal and we tend to, I guess, disassociate from where they're at in their lives and think, well, there's no way that person's been through what I'm going through. There's no way they would have made the mistakes I made or there's no way they would understand what I'm going through. And I think it's time as a society that we start to, broadly be more open in our conversations and our struggles and the tough times that we go through so that we can start to understand we all go through ups and downs we all run into financial trouble we all run into relationship trouble we all run into difficulties at work or pressure from outside and family etc i think the more of those conversations that we can all collectively have i feel that's where the biggest change begins is allowing those conversations to be held and that's hard particularly for guys unfortunately i think women 
No, actually, I don't. I think they they also struggle with it. They just allude to it in a different way, and it might be the thread that unravels. And I I don't actually have the solution other than trying to lead people to those conversations myself yeah. within our community and personally. I'm interested to hear if there's any, I guess, tips or tricks or, or something that you've learned along the way that starts to unlock some of those conversations in people. I, I honestly, to answer that, I think the greatest thing that, um, that I mean, the outcomes of the work we do, you know, there's lots of different things that continue to make me realise we're making a difference. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, how do we make a difference when it comes to mental health? I mean, three million Aussies live with depression or anxiety and only a third get treatment. Mm. Um, and if you think about why do two-thirds of three million Aussies not get treatment, I reckon stigma's a really big player in that, you know, fear of judgment from your mates, um, your peers, your husband, your wife, your partner. Like we, we worry that, look, we're going to be seen as weak, like we spoke about earlier, or different or strange for, for experiencing um, those, those mental health issues. But, look, I think the amount of... I mean, I've done 900 presentations now and every workplace I've gone to, not every single one, but lots of them, there's feedback that thanks for coming in and sparking that conversation. Over the last few months, we now have an AOK morning tea where we never would have. You know, we now have someone doing a monthly blog where they share some challenges they face throughout life. So, look, I, I just think it is a snowball effect, like you said. The more we can be vulnerable and have yeah. open conversations about our lives, and, and that's what we're, I mean, that's like what I like to pride myself on. Every time I stand up and share my story, I'm making myself vulnerable in the hope that others out there will too do that as well because vulnerability creates change. It creates people realising, hey, I've been through that or I could go through that. So, I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about it as well and hopefully make a difference for someone else. So, I mean, even doing this podcast, you know, talking about it where, where someone will listen to it and go, you know what, I've got to talk, I've got a story to tell, others are going to learn from it. Mm, very true. Mitch, uh, August was Tradies Health Month um, here in Australia and uh, there's, there's usually a lot of initiatives and, um, you know, lots of social media activity. Uh, I guess I'm keen to just get some ideas from you around how do we make every month, not just Tradies Health Month, but, uh, you know, how do we make every month mental health wellness month at home, you know, with our our wives, our husbands, our apprentices? Um, what are some things that – I guess you referenced it earlier too about having some of those practices and things that you do on a, on a day-to-day basis so we work more on the proper prevention of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, look, a lot of it's similar messaging to what I've, um, what I've been saying. I – I often say that there needs to be that shift between the, you know, maybe the older demographic on job sites compared to the younger guys coming through. We need to bridge that gap a little bit more. I think that's probably one of the biggest things we need to do and educate everyone from all ages. But as I've said, you know, I I meet people, um, I got asked a question this morning again about the difference between the older demographic of blokes on job sites to the younger. Like there's a gap there and that creates um, stigma, it creates uncomfortability, it creates a lack of vulnerability for these people to put their hand up and say they're struggling. Um, look, I I just think the more, as I said a moment ago as well, the more education sessions we can have, the focus on AOK. But I also think that change across the trade industry and especially on major job sites or workplaces needs to come from the top. Um, I really think that for a young guy or anyone within a workplace in the trade industry to see their their business owner, their employer or their a leader within that business creating change and taking it seriously um, is a major, major difference for anyone if they're going to change the way they view mental health. Um, I did a presentation years ago um, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't on a trade site. It was a, a group of um, men and women and I'll always remember it for probably not the right reasons. It was I was introduced by the business owner. Um, he introduced me, said, this is something that we mean business about. Mitch is here to share a story and give us some tips on mental health. We want to get serious about mental health. We're out in the foyer. Um, he introduced me. I stood up to start my presentation. He walked to the back of the room, went into his office, shut the door, and through the glass could see him just doing emails and calls as I was speaking. And, and that stuck with me because I thought, you know, we've got to lead from the front. You know, it's okay to say, but, um, you know, our motto at my high school was by deeds, not words alone. You know, it's okay it's okay to tick a box and, and feel that you're achieving that way. But I think leadership and change comes from the top and people at the front. So, look, I think that goes the same in all industries, but I think for the trade as well, leaders to stand up to, to men that might not be um, as open about mental health and say, look, this is a shift we need to make. This is a, the change that we need to have. And, look, I think back to my days in the, the glazing world, we only had a small business, but I'd go on job sites and 
I mean, I obviously always talk about the signs in my brother I wish I missed, but I cringe at days thinking back back in the day where I saw a bloke that I worked with and he came to work and he dragged his feet and he had his head down and I pushed, you know, a little shovel like, mate, come on, what the bloody hell's wrong with you, toughen up? You know, I'd mm-hmm. give anything and it happened to me too, you know, and I, mm-hmm. what would I do now? Bloody hell, if I'd buy him a coffee that day and sit with him and, you know, hey, I noticed something's wrong and my approach would be a total 180. Mm-hmm. So it's all about small changes, but they will snowball. We've said snowball five times, but things will snowball, <laughs> things will change, culture shift will come and, and we'll get there if we keep cracking at it. You know you're not a shit public speaker anymore when you hear yourself say snowball five times in a sentence, <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got there eventually. Mitch, what are some of the signs you wish you had seen and maybe our listeners can learn from those signs? Yeah. Look, I mean, we always hear about the people that become withdrawn and sad and stop doing things they enjoy and let their mental health get in the way of their daily life. You know, the the things that clearly brought them joy, obviously they stay away from those and and as I said, you know, like with my um, my little brother, um, those not eating dinner, you know, walking home, only in a two- or three-week period, but mm. they were small but really significant um, significant changes that I, I, as I said, would give anything to go by. Um, but we've also got to look out for those that become really boisterous as well, you know, people that look like they want to, um, you know, someone called me the other day and they were worried about someone and, you know, they've been really flat and whatever. And I said it's, it's important to monitor them, of course, but also make sure they don't come out and start wanting to make amends with people and, you know, like going out for dinners and celebrating and all of a sudden overnight get better, you know, like that's something to not be of concern but to keep your radar out as well. Look, and changes are just really important, big or small acting on them. Um, Look, the biggest one for me was, I mean, the night before my little brother took his life, I went into his room and I um, I said goodnight to him and he was laying on his bed playing on his phone and, um I've, got, I've said this eight, nine hundred times, and every time I do think about it or say it, I get really close to getting upset about it. But he looked at me, it took me a couple of times to say goodnight. He eventually just mumbled the word night. I pulled his door shut, went to bed, never ever saw him again. And, um, you know, like we all learn, we all, hindsight's a beautiful thing. But, you know, that night he had tears in his eyes. He was he was pale-faced and, you know, he was someone laying there with a, a shitload going on in his mind and in his heart and, I know he would have been laying there praying that um, he had the courage to call me in and tell me what was happening, but also laying there praying that his big brother recognised what was going on with him and and gave him that opportunity to speak. But, um, again, you know, whilst we were close, we weren't close and to go deep to know that to sit with him and wrap my arm around him and cry with him and and let him know that it was okay and I'd give anything to do that. So (laughs) I think if you're you're listening today and, and you've had one of those moments where, someone's just been one percent off their game you know please go and ask them you know please find a way don't don't expect that you'll see them tomorrow and ask them tomorrow ask them now um, because you know there might not be a tomorrow for some people and um, you know take it from me and, and was you to test it out that it's uh, not a good place to be in wishing that you could go back in time and do something we've got to live for the moment live for today and uh, and make as many positive changes as we can 100 percent mate I agree. I um, also want to just reaffirm something like you said. It can be really quick. Um, you know, the changes can be very small. It can happen very quickly. It doesn't need to be prolonged. I think early on we were all educated to believe that there would be prolonged changes and, you know, I, again, you've referenced it. Usually we're taught that it's sadness and misery that we're missing and yet you referenced it again. It can be the total opposite where they're super happy and that's not normally how they behave. Um, all of those are important for people to understand. It's not what we see in movies. It's not like that. It can be super quick. It can be decisions that are made in a day, 24, 48 hours, not weeks, months, years. Um, I feel that's super important to take out of today. Yeah. yeah. Mitch, um, I'm going to shift gear a little bit uh, as we wrap up. You mentioned the bumper sticker. Um, and I heard the word inappropriate, and I hope it's inappropriate in a way that uh, <laughs> that I think it might be. It's good inappropriate. I don't think I've ever said to anyone uh, the story behind it is inappropriate, and then anyone's not ever come back to it to try. <laughs> to I'm a typical uh, bloke, mate. I hear it. I hear yeah, something like yeah. that. It's you like we got to share that one. You see people's ears prick up. Look, um, when I was sitting sketching with a pad and pen, the idea of what I'd put on this sticker, I had 
speak up, stay chatty straight away because it incorporates my brother's name, Ty. The reason behind the footy shorts, um, Ty loved wearing footy shorts. So he played footy. He, he, he'd wear them obviously playing footy. But there were days where we'd dress up to go out for dinner or lunch and I'd go up and get him or he'd come out and he'd have a nice shirt or a jumper on and then I'd look down and he'd have these mini little footy shorts on and he'd be like, hey, look, go put some pants on. He was just notorious for wearing footy shorts. But the inappropriate side of it was every single time, and I'm pretty sure even playing footy as well, he refused to wear any underwear with his footy shorts. So <laughs> when he was, seven, he was 17, um, we were at Dad's place. Um, we were watching uh, some TV, and um, I'm pretty sure it was my stepmom sitting opposite Ty, and um, in front of everyone, she muted the TV and said, for goodness sakes, Ty, please put your feet down off the coffee table. Uh, you can only imagine what was uh, exposed to my poor stepmom. So, look, he, he was an idiot. He was a larrikin. He, he really loved to laugh. And um, that, that just really connected with everyone. It was a Look, it's a, it's a sad story, but for me, that's a, a really light, uh, positive light out of it that, you know, um, and as I said, I always want people to remember him as that fun, happy-go-lucky guy, which he was. Um, and for me to always fall back to that story um, paints a really clear picture of that. And, um, yeah, it's a special memory that we all have. Mm. Well, we did not script that, and I think that's a fantastic way <laughs> to finish um, an episode with you, Mitch, uh, with the uh, the visuals of your brother's feet on the coffee table. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sans underpants. So, uh Mate, we will we will put um, all of the relevant numbers at the end of this episode um, once we we finish with you, Mitch. But uh, to find out more about you and your organisation, mate, uh, where should listeners head to? Yeah, social media. So um, speak up, stay chatty is on Instagram and, and Facebook, and our website staychatty.com.au. Um, you can reach out to me personally. Always happy to to have a conversation with anyone about mental health related. It's what I do. I work full time, and then send a lot of messages and emails after hours to people asking questions and whatnot, and I, and I really, really love that. So, I um, do. yeah, look, thanks for having me. Um, mental health something that, um, as I said, I'm really proud to be part of, and um, whilst I lead a really purpose-filled life and, and love sitting here with you guys today, I wish to God I wasn't in this position. You know, I hope that people sit here today and get up off their bum, turn the radio off and, and go, right, I'm going to do something about it, you know, learn a little bit more and that's how you'll create change. Just become a bit more comfortable with mental health and I guarantee it might save, you know, yourself or someone else's life one day and there's nothing more powerful than that. So thanks for allowing me to highlight it today. Thank you for being here, Mitch. It's been yeah. a joy to share in your story. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mitch. You've been listening to the Tradies and Business Podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesandbusiness.com.au.